Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the faith that is passed down to our children from families, from those in the church who know and love them, and from others that you bring into their lives. Thank you for how special it is and how blessed the children are to have those who care for them and love them and want to give them that faith. Thank you now for your word that we're able to look to together. We're able to see what it is your Holy Spirit is going to impress on our hearts so that our lives can be changed to be more like you want them to be. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to be looking at 20 verses, all related to the same subject of clean and unclean. And I believe that there are some very practical applications that each one of us can make in our lives. So I'll read these, if, these verses if you follow along with me. Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind... Both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. A little bit later, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I'd like us to think a little bit about communion right now by using our imaginations. I know that there are some among you that are very imaginative, and I'm asking that all of us try to to be somewhat imaginative right now. But suppose... This isn't going to happen, but suppose at Alden Union Church, we asked everyone to pass an inspection at the door, similar to an inspection at the airport. But we've got to be inspected at the door before being allowed to enter into these this sanctuary and participate in communion together. Understand what I'm saying? We're lining up at the doors 
Only those who pass inspection are going to be able to participate in communion. And we're going to inspect for some pretty bizarre things. For example, you have to be dressed in a certain way. Men, jacket, and a wild tie. Why a wild tie? So that we can sing, blessed be the tie that blinds. That's, that's why we do that. Um, ladies, you've got to be dressed in ankle-length polka dot dresses. Every one of you, if you don't pass that inspection, you cannot have communion with us. You had to wash your hands and faces in a prescribed ritual. The hand washing would have to be as long as it takes you to sing happy birthday. Or is that how long they say you have to brush your teeth? It's, it's one of those anyway. Your hair needs to be neatly trimmed, carefully combed, not a hair out of place. And you have to cry during inspection while you comb your hair. Why? Because parting is such sweet sorrow. That's why you have to do that. You have to gargle with mouthwash for 60 seconds. I say, why would anybody ever ask us to do that? Why would we have to do that kind of an inspection before we participate in communion? And somebody who doesn't know Scripture might say to you, well, it's very biblical to ask you to do that. It says in 1 Corinthians 11.28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And you're saying, that's ridiculous. If we think that way, we've missed the whole point of what it means to examine ourselves. Because that examination, first of all, is a self-examination, not somebody at the door, but it's a spiritual examination. It has absolutely nothing to do with the tire, clean hands or faces or what one's hair looks like. So you've missed the entire point if you think that the examination that takes place before communion deals with any of these externals. That's exactly the point the Pharisees and the scribes missed in today's Scripture. They were concerned about externals. Jesus confronted them. He shifted the focus to the heart issues, as Jesus always did. A couple of key verses. Look at verse 11, if you're still in Matthew 15, verse 11. When Jesus said, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And what Jesus is saying there very, very clearly, if something that you eat with unwashed hands it's defiled ceremonially or otherwise. It goes into your mouth and into your body. So what? But what comes out of your mouth, the words that we say are a reflection of what is in our heart. And that's the key issue. When we're examining ourselves, it is not doing something with the externals, but it's doing something with the internals, the spiritual. Look at verses 18 through 20 as well. Verses 18 through 20, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile any one at all. You may have noticed in the scripture reading we saw the word tradition three times. We see the word tradition also in the parallel account in Mark 6 times. 
Please understand that tradition is not a bad word. Traditionalism is not a bad word either. It's not necessarily a good word, but traditions can become bad when they're abused. It's the abuses of tradition about which Jesus speaks. Let's see what Jesus had to say about crippling, stifling Pharisaism, because Jesus confronts Pharisaism in all of these verses, in verses 1 to 20, but particularly we get started in verses 1 through 5. Jesus was continuing to attract attention as he did all the time. Wherever he went, there would crowds, crowds would gather. Mark's account describes now we, we see some theological hitmen who had been sent from Jerusalem to study Jesus and nail him if possible. Verse 1 tells us in Mark's third chapter that they were gathered around Jesus. When I see that, I think of vultures. If you can't see the screen, there are some vultures circling around. When we started to read, the Pharise- then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus. If you're reading in your scriptures, immediately when you come to that, you know, uh-oh, this can't be good, uh, because it, it never is. The vultures are gathering. There they are. Matthew simply says they came to Jesus from Jerusalem. They saw some of Jesus' disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, hands that were unwashed, according to verse 2. Please understand, this issue has nothing to do with hygiene. This has nothing to do with having dirty, diseased, or germy hands coming to a meal. This is all about ritualistic washing. This is all about their tradition. This is not... Be a good boy and wash your hands so that the germs don't get all over your food. In Mark, and if you want to turn to Mark 7 for just a moment, in Mark chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, Mark adds an aside as he's telling this story to the Gentile readers. The Jews understood, and that's why Matthew didn't say anything about it, but Mark adds this aside, Mark chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. There was a huge assortment of Jewish traditions that had been growing and had been passed down orally from generation to generation. These traditions were explanations and specific examples of how to apply what was written in the law to everyday life. Please understand again, this was not the law. This was not God's word. These were traditions that developed. These were man-made. These were things that got out of hand that were abused, and I think we'll be able to see that as we go along. But about A.D. 200, these oral traditions were written down in what is called the Mishnah. So we have a record of them. We understand some of these traditions. Some of these oral traditions involved ritualistic cleansing. Back in Exodus chapter 30 and Exodus chapter 40, there were some requirements for cleansing, ritualistic cleansing, But these were just for the priests. They decided it would be good if everybody participated in these rituals along the years. So all pious Jews had begun to practice this ritual cleansing about 200 years before Jesus came. If you wanted to be clean, you did 
this. Now, here's what somebody has said about this ritual of clean hands. If you can see pictured a part of that on the screen, they were washing all the time. Before meals, they would pour a little water over their hands, elevating them slightly so the water would run down to the wrist, and then would rub their hands together. Next, they would lower their hands and rinse them, allowing the water to run off their fingertips. That was just for the meals. If they were returning from a place where they could be defiled, such as the marketplace, they went to greater extremes. When it came to washing the dishes, they really got carried away. The Mishnah indicated something of the extremeness of their bent during Jesus' time, for it devoted 35 pages to washing vessels and other daily implements. I don't know about you, but I don't think I need 35 pages of instruction on how to wash the dishes. I, I don't know about, maybe some, maybe some of us do. But you can understand this has much, much more to do with ritual than actually getting clean dishes or clean hands. It doesn't say anything about scrubbing. It doesn't say anything about washing with soap. It's just this pouring of water that had grown, wasn't even intended for the common people. It was for the priests. Now everybody was doing it. To the Pharisees, the oral law was equally binding with scriptures. Some even believed it was more precious and authoritative than the scripture. Some man-made rules were put in force to protect, they thought, God's law and God's word. But the rules got out of hand. Good intentions don't always lead to good results. And so when we think in terms of traditions, Phariseeism was traditionalism on steroids. It was not a good thing. It developed into a very bad thing. That's why Jesus didn't require his disciples to be involved in this. It was something that was totally unnecessary. Now, catch this also. You were not permitted, just as an example, you were not permitted to carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath. I couldn't be carrying this with me today or I would be in violation. But you could wear a handkerchief. So if I put it up here, then it's okay for me to carry it. But not in this pocket because I'm carrying it. This pocket's okay because I'm wearing it. Do you understand the difference? I could put it in my head. I could put it, and then I'd be okay. I wouldn't be in violation. That means if you were upstairs and wanted to take the handkerchief downstairs, you'd have to tie it around your neck first. You'd have to walk downstairs and untie it, and then you could blow your nose downstairs. Does that seem a wee bit extreme um, or, or more? One could spit on the Sabbath, but you had to be careful where you spit because if you spit on the dirt and your foot accidentally hit it, then you would be cultivating the soil and you would be in violation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Keep that on tape. <laughs> we can have canned reactions like that. That helped to prove the point. So Jesus' disciples violated these rules of men. The challenge came in verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus came right back at them in verse 3. In effect, 
He told them that they needed to clean up their own backyard before they worry about the conditions of someone else's. They were violating God's rules. The disciples were violating the rules, the silly rules that men had enacted. But if the Pharisees want to point a finger at Jesus' disciples, take a look at yourselves. Look at what you're doing. You're violating God's rules. And he gave them an illustration to drive that point home very, very clearly. He said, every Jew understood that the fifth commandment to honor father and mother included taking care of them in their old age or infirmity. But there was a traditional loophole. They would say all they owned had been vowed to God. There was a technical word for that that Mark uses. It's the word korban. So if I want to make a vow, everything that I have belongs to God, all that really meant was None of it goes to mom and dad. You didn't have to give it to the temple. You could still use it for yourself. The only thing you couldn't do is to give it to mom and dad. By devoting a gift to God, son did not necessarily promise it to the temple or prevent its use for himself. He legally excluded his parents from benefiting from it. In effect, God's word was rendered void by that particular technicality that they used over and over again. In verse 7, if you glance at this, we're not going to be able to look at every word and phrase, but it's okay in a narrative. We understand what's going on here. But in verse 7, Jesus told the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that Isaiah was right when he described people just like them. The only difference is the people that Isaiah described were seven or 800 years before. He called them hypocrites, a word that means play actors or those who wear a mask and hide behind the mask. Their worship was only an outward show. It wasn't from the heart. And here's how Isaiah put it. Isaiah added a few more words because Matthew paraphrased it and shortened it, condensing a little bit. Isaiah 29:13. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They're not reverencing, fearing God for the right reasons. They're taking things that men taught, and then they're being judged according to how they obey God. But it really wasn't God. It was the men themselves. Their worship was only going through the motions. Physically, they may have been present at worship services. Spiritually, they were far from genuine worship. They set their own standards, and they expected other people to conform to them. They set up ways around God's laws, not ways to protect them. They picked what they wanted. They chose what they wanted. They rationalized. They diluted God's laws, making them say what they wanted them to say. And then they wondered why everybody wouldn't obey them. And when Jesus' disciples didn't, then something was wrong with Jesus' disciples, and Jesus is turning the tables on them. The heart of the charges, once again, against the Pharisees was in verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, as Isaiah said, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do you see that distinction? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then saying, if you don't obey my commandments, you're disobeying God. And Jesus would have none of that at all. Let me make several loving statements in trying to apply this to our church. Think about us. We have a contemporary service, and we have a traditional service. 
The word traditional is not a bad word. It is not necessarily a good word either. The word contemporary, it's not a good word or necessarily a bad word either. What determines goodness or badness is the attitude of the individual worshiper. We need to examine our own individual worship in light of what God's word says. Now, please, please grasp this statement. Don't confuse personal preferences with God's commands. Do you see how easy it is for us to slip into Pharisaism? Don't confuse personal preferences with God's commands. Personal preference is a tradition of man. I may prefer to worship using certain elements and avoiding certain others. You prefer using and avoiding a different list than I do. That doesn't make either of us right or wrong, good or evil, spiritual or immature. It simply makes us different, and we love each other through the differences. Don't impose a personal preference of yours on other people in the name of God in worship. And I know most of you are saying, I would never do that. But pay careful attention to our attitudes. When people do things that are a little different than we do. The point that Jesus is making in this scripture is don't get hung up on externals. Let me pick a couple of things that happen in our worship services. Clapping hands and rhythm to music. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that something that you're really into? Is that something that you don't like? But the point is this. I don't clap in rhythm during services. Why not? I'm rhythmically challenged. If I weren't, I'd be clapping with the best of you. I'd be enthusiastic and clapping along, but even applause after something. Some people think that that's awful, and some people think that I'm expressing my gratitude to God. When somebody has done something and I want to applaud, uh, they go ahead and do that, and other people shake their heads. Is there a right or wrong to that? Should there be a right or wrong? Should we look down at anybody, or should we think I'm more spiritual because I do or don't in any of these? These are all externals. What about raising our hands in the service? What about getting excited? Do you know what? To our shame, somebody said to me recently, person who's expressive in worship and raises her hands, and somebody said to her, why don't you sit in the back when you do that so that you don't disturb other people? I hope there's more to that story than I heard. I, I hope that there's something that will take away from that, but, but that's, what, that's what I was told. Does it matter whether somebody wants to express visually their worship of God and somebody else doesn't, please feel free to do that or not do that. You could make an argument that raising hands in a service is more biblical than not. I don't do it because I'm inhibited for no other reason. Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. How could anybody ever look down on somebody for doing that if the scripture tells us that it's okay, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So please don't feel inhibited and don't make someone feel inhibited. We're able to worship God the way that his spirit directs us as individuals. Do I need to belabor that? I don't need to beat that to death. You understand what I'm saying, I'm, I'm sure. And that, that's where we need to be. The key is attitude. Is it of God or not, biblical or not, or is it in... Is, is it my way imposed on your will? And that should never be. 
Real worship that is the antithesis of the Pharisees takes place in the following atmosphere. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Very, very biblical. Now we... We, we clean up this mess that the Pharisees created. Jesus does. He explains the issue. And we read this in verses 10 through 14. He's explaining what's going on. He called the crowd to him. He wanted to be sure they caught what he was saying. He later is going to give a more thorough explanation to the disciples, but he wanted everyone to understand. He wants us to understand. And the key point is in verse 11, once again, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. The mouth is something that is external from the heart. It's internal physically, but it's not spiritually. The problem is coming from the heart through the mouth. Verse 12, the disciples asked Jesus, and glance down at verse 12. They asked Jesus a very obvious question by this point. They came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I would have said, you think? Jesus wouldn't be sarcastic like that, but Jesus then gave an answer. Jesus answered once again with the the, the concept, verses 13 and 14, he said, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So the Lord Jesus is saying, and, and, and by the way, aren't we all thankful for dogs that help blind folks? Our brothers and sisters, we're so happy, and, and they're such nice dogs we have in our church too. But when Jesus is saying this, he's making the point here that we've got these Pharisees, they're going to be uprooted, leave them alone. They're leading themselves who are blind into further trouble because nobody can see the truth. That's what he's saying, they're wrong. But then in verses 15 through 20, Jesus further explains the issue. Look at verse 15. This was not one of Peter's finer moments. He has a few that aren't so fine. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. You can tell by Jesus' response in verse 16, it wasn't Peter's finest moment. And Jesus answered him, are you also still without understanding? And then he explains the same thing all over again. A little more graphically this time, um, now he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is, ex- is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And then he reiterates once again what it is that comes out of the heart. It all boils down to whether we want to make sure we examine ourselves for right things. When we examine ourselves for communion, for example, we're examining whether we're in the faith, whether we understand the true significance of what the body of Jesus represents in communion, what the blood of Christ is all about. We have to make sure our hearts are right. We want to be followers of God from the inside out, not making sure the outside shows well, but the inside is genuine. These are strong words in front of us from Jesus And if he were here now, I wonder if he would ask this question, are there any Pharisees among us? Are there any Pharisees here with this Pharisaical kind of thinking 
that forgets totally the spirit of the law and goes with the letter of the law that's not even the law of God, but it is the law of preference. It is the law of what I want as an individual. On June 22, 2002, a 33-year-old pitching star for the St. Louis Cardinals pictured here, a man by the name of Daryl Kyle, was found dead in his Chicago hotel room. He was young, physically active, appeared to be in good shape. However, the autopsy revealed he had a 90% blockage in two of three coronary arteries, an enlarged heart, and a blood clot in one of the arteries. His appearance misled many to think that he was physically healthy, but there were some very unhealthy things going on inside. He's a parable for us. Jesus said, that appearances can deceive people into thinking that they are spiritually healthy. Appearances, the outside. Jesus said, take a good look at the heart. We have an opportunity to do that in a few moments, even in communion. Examine ourselves aright from the inside out, not the outside in. Heavenly Father, please cure the Phariseeism that may exist among any who are here. Help us to understand that we want to follow you from our hearts and not impose our preferences on others. Help us to learn well the lessons that are here from the inside out. We want to be clean and pure for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.